We are, um, we're going to conclude a sermon series this morning that we've been in for a few weeks that is called, We Do Our Part and God Does His Part. And today we're going to get to the most important part of this sermon series. As a matter of fact, it's the most important topic, and we can bring this topic all the way down to one word. It's a very all-encompassing word, but it is, it is massive. If we look at our personal relationship with Jesus, the moment that you come to faith in Christ, you've taken the first step in your walk, salvation. That's step number one. From that moment on, your soul has been given to the living God and you are saved forever in his presence, but from that moment on, everything comes down to this one word that we study this morning. Moment number one, salvation. All other moments, obedience. Salvation is what happens when you connect your soul to the heart of Christ. Obedience is what happens to keep your soul growing healthy growing godly in Christ. Many of us in our teenage years probably were really excited about the time we turned 16 to go down to the DMV and to get our driver's permit, maybe 15 and a half. And then you're excited again when you go and you get your, your driver's license. You study the hand signals, right? You, this kind of thing. And then you study all of the street signs so that you, you know what they mean. But with that license comes a massive amount of freedom, comes a massive amount of responsibility. Now you can go where you want. You can do what you want. You only go to the DMV to get your first driver's license one time. Everything after that is obedience. It's obedience to the traffic laws. Now you're out on the road as a teenager and you're learning not from a book, not from a pamphlet. Now you're learning in real time, in real life. Now things become real. Everything that you've studied now is really, really important. Everything that you do, and we've talked about this before, everything that you do is in obedience to a God. How you spend your time is in obedience to somebody. How you spend your money is in obedience to somebody. How you raise your children is in obedience to somebody. What you do when you leave church this morning and go back into your regular life is in obedience to somebody. Today we're going to be looking into the Old Testament at an illustration of obedience. And I want you to see what happens when you are obeying God's rule enough. When we tell ourselves that we can obey God's directions for our life enough, that means that we, have been give, we are giving now ourselves the authority to make the rules. The state of California 
has not given you a driver's license so that you could obey the rules of the road enough. Every rule of the road has been put in place for order, for direction, would it be fair to say for your protection, for the protection of others. That is why we are not supposed to roll through stop signs when nobody is looking. It's the same reason why we are not supposed to fall into a lifestyle of sin just because there is nobody looking. It is there to protect us. In the Old Testament, we saw that Moses brought the Israelites out of the nation of Israel where they had been enslaved for 400 years. And God told him to take the Israelites. They're going to go through the desert into the promised land, into Canaan. And along this trip, along this journey, the 12 tribes that are part of the nation of Israel are under their own control for the very first time. They've been slaves for a long time. And, and we're told in Judges that once they, they get to the promised land, that every man did what was right in his own eyes. Then we have judges that come into place that are going to start leading the people. Now, judges are not kings. Judges are not rulers. They don't wear a, a black robe. They're not on a bench. They're not politicians. But the Lord would give his direction to the judges, and the judges would talk to the people and would lead the people, and the judges would, would kind of help with conflicts along the way. But they would talk to the people about God's directions. They would be God's appointed messengers. From the moment that the Israelites left Egypt, they struggled with idolatry. Honestly, we could call it spiritual adultery. The nation continued to worship other gods, even though God had laid down a rule and said, do not worship other gods. The last of the judges was a man by the name of Samuel. Samuel followed the Lord. God spoke to Samuel. Samuel went and he spoke to the nation. And when Samuel got into his older age, he was about to pass on his leadership responsibilities to his two sons. The problem was is that his two sons are very corrupt. And the nation and the people go to Samuel and they say, look, we, we don't want your sons. They're not you and they're corrupt. You know what we want? We want what all the other nations around here have. We want a king. God had never had an, an anticipation. He had never had the goal of his people being ruled by a king. That's the first example of disobedience. They were to follow God's rule. They were to follow God's direction. But now they're saying, we want a king. So they're going astray, just like the teenager who now has his driver's license and he's in his car and he's got a lead foot. 
So, of course, God recognizes their request for a king, and he tells Samuel, he says, okay, that's what they want. That's what they're going to get. Even though it's not in my plan, go ahead and give them a king. So God tells Samuel, he says, I want you to anoint this man as king. His name is Saul. Saul is, he is ahead above all of the other men. He's tall, he's handsome, he's got glistening white teeth, he is just the, 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 the most awesomest of the awesome Israelites, and now he is king. Here is an example. There is, there is no example, rather, uh, for Saul to follow. There wasn't a king before. Saul doesn't have a king of the Israelites to mimic, but he does have God's direction that he could follow. But Saul becomes very prideful in his newfound position of power and of freedom and of leadership. And Saul decides to follow God in obedience enough, just enough. Let me tell you something, friends, that following God enough, being obedient enough is not being obedient. Being obedient sometimes is not being obedient. Obeying some of the traffic laws sometimes is not following traffic law. Saul was obedient enough, only in Saul's eyes. Being obedient 90% means that we're disobedient 10%. And all disobedience all disobedience from God's protections in our life come with some sort of consequence, even if it's 10%, even if it's a small amount. It might be a lesser consequence, but there are consequences. Obedience enough is not what Jesus asked for. Matthew records this, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 24. This is going to be up on the screen for you. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus didn't ask his disciples to pick up their cross and follow him to the edge of town. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. Be obedient. Did he give us any sort of opportunity for ourselves to follow our own direction? No, he said, follow me. He's very specific. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, as we are going to be in chapter 15 in a message that I have titled, No Such Thing as Enough. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to see God giving Saul a very direct instruction if you have your Bibles with you, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 1. It's also going to be up on the screen. One day, Samuel said to Saul, 
It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to the message of the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. This is God. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came out of Egypt. So go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. It's a pretty specific list. So here's the question. When it comes to obedience, what is God's part? We see God's part in this scripture. God's part is to lead us and to give us very specific instructions. In this case, God told Saul why he wanted Saul to accomplish a task. But let me tell you something. God doesn't have to give us reasons for why he wants us to do what he wants us to do. God just gives us instructions. But in order for us to obey, there's a reasonable expectation that we need to know what it is that's required of us. When it comes to how to manage your marriage, or even when it comes to what is marriage, God has very specific instructions. When it comes to how a Christian is to behave in community, God has given us very specific instructions. When it comes to how we are to love others and who it is we are to love, God has given us very specific instructions. But he doesn't have to. God could, if he chose to, ask something of us without explanation without reason. The gift of salvation does not obligate God to letting us know everything that he does. Rather, simply, it obligates us to obedience. That's our job. In this case, God is using Saul and his army to inflict punishment on the Amalekites. If we were to go back into the book of Exodus, we see that Moses is leading the people through the desert into the promised land, and one of the tribes of people that they come across out there in the desert, one of the, the, the men who crosses them is Amalek, and he causes trouble for the Israelites, and God remembers this. God doesn't inflict his punishment right away. Sometimes it takes a little while for God to act. But now, God is acting. I want you to remember this. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you who have a bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blanks on the back of your bulletin, and I'm going to give you those, and they're going to be up here on the screen. And write these down if you would. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. God's instruction may not make sense to us, but they are still His instructions. They don't always have to make sense to us. We don't have any indication in the Bible that Saul questioned any of God's directions or his instructions. 
I'm sure that if you and I were in that position, we may have had reservations about the fact that God said to completely destroy everyone, women and children. In our culture, it might be uncomfortable. And we might question that type of instruction. But that was God's instruction. We have to remember, our minds are finite. Our minds are simply human minds. We mess up a lot. God doesn't. God created everything that you see. We can know that when God has an instruction for us, he has a reason, and it very well may be bigger than we can understand. If we tell ourselves that we are going to understand everything and we're not going to move on God's instructions until we understand it, what we are doing is lessening God's authority. I want you to see what Saul does with this instruction. We're picking up our story in verse number four. So Saul mobilized his army at Teleim. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went down to the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this warning to the Kenites, move away from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Real quick, what Saul is doing, he recognizes that amongst the Amalekites, there is another group who is living with them, the Kenites. Now, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was part of this group of Kenites. And the, the Kenites were kind to Israel Saul is saying, hey, we're coming, and we're coming heavy. You're friends of ours. We're going to let you know. We're giving you advance notice. Get out of town because this isn't going to be pretty. And so he warns the Kenites, and they leave. Now the Kenites are gone. It's game time. Come back with me to 1 Samuel 15. We're in verse number 7. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep, of the goats, of the cattle, of the fat calves, and the lambs, everything. In fact, uh, everything that in fact appealed to them. They destroyed only what they felt worthless or of poor, poor quality. I find it interesting that Saul had no pity on the women and the children, but he found value in the things that were amongst the tribe that he just destroyed. He found value in the things that were valuable. They kept some of the gold and some of the the silver, the pieces that were, were very, very expensive, the best animals. He obeyed enough. Here's point number two in your notes this morning. Write this down. There is no such thing as being obedient enough. You're either obedient or you're not. But there's no such thing as being obedient enough. Saul and his men, they were motivated by by 
covetousness. They, they, they raided and they killed all of the people who they felt were not valuable enough to them. They killed all of the animals that they felt weren't going to do them any good. But they made the decision. They made the choice that this is a great ox. This is a great sheep. This is a great camel. Let's take them with us. Everything else, gone. In many of the wars that Saul had been in with the Israelites, God had told them in some of the wars when they came into the land of Canaan that you can go in and destroy a group and take the plunder. You can take everything that is of value. Not this time. God has now initiated a holy war. And he didn't give any, any, any chance for Saul and his men to take anything. He says, wipe out everything. That was his instructions. But Saul made the decision that the plunder, that it was okay to take. You can, you can almost imagine Saul and his men, they're, they're walking back from the battlefield and, and into their own country, and they've got a herd of ox behind them, and they've got a herd of, of the best sheep behind them, and in the front of the army as they're walking back, there's a couple of soldiers who are walking with King Agag, who's in chains and just kind of walking like this all the way back to the to the country, right? And I mean, here's Saul and his men, and, and they made out with the best stuff that the Amalekites had. Saul was given a very specific instruction from God and through Samuel, who was a prophet, who was almost like the godliest pastor on earth. It was this, as if Saul had Heard, had a voice from God that was giving him direction, and Saul goes and asks his pastor about it and says, hey, you know, um, what I'm hearing, even his pastor, even Solomon says, yes, this is what God is telling you to do, and then Saul decides that he is just going to go out and obey enough, obey some if you obey some of the traffic laws, you're going to put yourself in jeopardy, right? And you're going to open yourself up to maybe a tragic accident that could hurt you, your family, somebody else in another car. What we're doing is we're taking the law into our own hands and we're saying this part of the law I'm in control of. Why does that happen like that? Why do we know what God says in certain aspects and areas of our life, but we decide that it's okay to be obedient enough? Why do we decide that we're going to be an, uh, uh, obedient enough when it comes to, to, to marriage, that we're, we're going to get married because that's what the Bible says to do, but we're not going to have a godly marriage. We're just going to be obedient enough. <clears throat> Maybe we decide when it comes to the tithe that we're going to give God what's left over and be obedient. We're only going to be obedient enough. We decide that 
when it comes to living a, a solid Christian lifestyle that we're going to be obedient on Sunday mornings, but as soon as we're done with church, we're going to go back into our lifestyle, but we were obedient en enough. I know we struggle to give God everything. Jesus had this conversation, as a matter of fact, with a gentleman in Mark chapter 10. We read this, this passage. It'll be up on the screen. Mark chapter 10, verse number 17. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, ran up to Jesus and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I can inherit eternal life? Verse 19 says, you know the commandments. This is Jesus responding to him. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And, he, and, and, and the man said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus showed love to him, and he said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell, watch this, all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And here's the next part, very specific, come follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. You know what's sad? Is that being obedient enough becomes a lifestyle. And after a while, after you're in this lifestyle of being obedient enough, and it becomes normal to you, after a while, we don't see our errors anymore. Being obedient enough becomes so commonplace that we don't even recognize the vast amount of disobedience because it's become lifestyle. We've talked about this before. There is a difference between a lifestyle and a Christ style. Come back with me into our, into our narrative. We're in verse number 10. Notice what Saul does. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and he's refused to obey my commands. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Somebody told him Saul went to the town of uh, Carmel and he set up a monument to himself and then he went off to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him. Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out all of the Lord's commands. Then what is this bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle, I hear, Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle, Saul admitted. But they are going, they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord our God. We have destroyed everything else. So here's the thing. God tells Samuel, he says, I am, I regret. I am saddened that I made Saul king. This is the same kind of sadness that God had when, back in the day of the flood. When he told Noah, I am saddened by these people I have created and they have all fallen into disobedience. 
not only was Saul disobedient, but he is so high on himself and he was so proud of himself of what he did accomplish that he, he built a monument to himself, not to God. That really shows us where Saul's heart was. I wonder, I wonder if we have ever finished a project and we've treated ourselves before we've thanked God. I wonder if we have ever come home from the first day at work at that brand new job and we celebrated with a dinner with the family. It's day one. We go out and celebrate before we thank God for that new job. And I want you to see how, how Saul only recognizes his accomplishment and that small percentage of obedience. Did you see that? When, when Samuel came to Saul to talk to him, it's as, if, it's as if Saul says, Hey, Samuel, my man, glad you're here. I've done everything that the Lord asked for me to do. I'm the man, look at me. I did it. And while Saul is celebrating and, and, and laughing and, and he's being so proud of himself, Samuel brings, he brings the hammer down and he says, if you did everything that God asked you to do, oh, what's that sound that I hear behind you? What is that? Cows? Saul's like, um, cows? What cows? Oh, oh those cows. Um, yeah, well, when we got to the land of the Amalekites, and uh, they had these super cool oxen and, and cattle, and we, we, we just thought that we would take them back, we'd take the best of them, and, and we'd bring them to, to sacrifice to God. Yeah, that's what we were going to do with them. Yeah, we were going to uh, sacrifice them. But, but we were obedient enough, and we destroyed everything else that was there. Praise us! And you know what God is, you know what Saul is doing? He's actually stealing God's thunder. He's stealing God's praise. Here's the third point in your notes this morning, and this is so important. The battle is not ours, and the victory is not ours. The battle is not ours. The victory is not ours. See, when we don't give God what is His, we are taking something away from God. In this case, Saul was taking away praise and honor that belongs to God. When we choose not to fully obey, then we are taking a position of authority away from God and putting ourselves in position of rule maker. We're saying, I know that these are your rules, God, but I say, I'm going to, so we take God's position. When it comes to obedience, what is our part? Our part is to fully obey. What is God's part? God's part is to instruct, is to protect, and to fulfill his promises. We often repeat to ourselves, we say things like, God will for, 
fulfill all of his promises, and he will. But I wonder if we are ever not fulfilling our obligation to obedience. Are we doing our part, or are we doing our part just enough? Because here's one thing that we know for sure. God is always fully doing his part. God is always giving us instructions fully. God is fighting the battle fully for us. He is protecting us fully. In God's world, he does not have a setting called enough. Let's finish up our narrative. We're in 1 Samuel verse number 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, you are not, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But but I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. And then my troops brought the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, watch this. This is so important. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Here's the fourth and final point in your notes this morning. There is nothing more precious to God than your obedience. There is nothing more precious to God than your obedience. The fact that you come to church on Christmas and Easter, that's that's great. And the fact that you give up your your Sunday mornings to be here, I am so thankful that you are here. The sacrifices that we give just to be here on Sunday morning. (sighs) Look what we give up to be here. Look what we give up to get our kids there on Wednesday night. We sacrifice a lot of (sighs) just lounging around time, right? We sacrifice a lot to be at at church. That's not really a, a big sacrifice. See, here's the thing. Sacrifice is subjective. What's a big sacrifice to you might not be a big sacrifice to me. What's a big sacrifice to you might not be a big sacrifice to God. God doesn't measure on sacrifice. He says, I want obedience. See, obedience is objective. It doesn't change from you to me to somebody else. God's rules, God's law, God's direction for our lives is fixed. It does not change. 
which means it doesn't change from person to person to person, from culture to culture to culture. It doesn't change depending on where you are in the world. It doesn't change depending on who the president is. It doesn't change depending on what celebrity is tweeting this. It does not change. You might say, God, I I sacrifice all my Sunday mornings to you. You might feel like that's a really big sacrifice, and I give you kudos for being here. But obedience is more pleasing to God than sacrifice. Full obedience is objective. What is our part? Obedience. If we are going to be fully obedient to God... It means that we really need to know what God wants from us. We really need to know what his instructions are. Let me tell you a secret. God's instructions, God's will for our lives, it's in the book. You've got one in front of you. You've got one in your hands. You've got one on your phone. You've got one on your computer. God has given us his direction in the book. That's where it's at. Let me tell you another secret. You can't get as close to God as you need to be by only coming here and listening to me once a week. God wants a personal relationship with you. This this is a corporate setting. Look at everyone around here. You can have a corporate relationship with God here. God wants a personal relationship with you. Personal relationships are built in a personal space. Where is it where you and God get time one-on-one? That's where God wants to build a personal relationship with you. It's someplace at home. It's in a prayer closet. It's on your knees in front of your bed. It is somewhere where it is you and God. Our part is understanding God's specific instruction. Our part in obedience is making sure that we're not writing the rules, that we're not changing God's rules to fit our heart, but rather we're changing our heart to fit God. We're changing our personal direction to where God wants us to go, not where we want to go. Not what culture thinks is correct now before it changes to something else in a decade. We've talked about this before. God's direction for your lives, they're not to keep you from enjoying life, but rather they are to protect you. God's directions are not there to take away any of your joy. As a matter of fact, they are to protect you so that you can enjoy joy. Our part in that obedience is to make sure that we are always listening and following. Do you have questions about what God is telling you? Saul did. Let's talk about that. It's okay to say, I'm not sure if I understand this correctly, 
but I want to grow and I want to understand and I want to learn this. Can we talk about this? Yeah, we can. See, King Saul, he took God's direction and he obeyed enough. On the surface, it doesn't sound like a big deal. Honestly, it doesn't sound like a big deal. He kept some cows. He kept a couple of sheep. He kept a couple of camels. That's not the point. The point is that Saul did not fully obey. I want to read you this from 1 John chapter 5. And some of you, you've probably heard this before. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and, watch this, obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Finally, the psalmist writes this from the book of Psalms. I really encourage you to be in the book of Psalms every day. This is from Psalms chapter 119, verse 57 through 64. Lord, you are mine, and I promise to obey your words. With all of my heart, I want your blessings. Be merciful as you promised. I ponder the direction of my life, and I turned to follow your laws. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. Evil people try and drag me into sin, but I am firmly anchored to your instruction. I rise at midnight to thank you for your just regulations. I am a friend to anyone who fears you. Anyone who obeys your commandments, O Lord, your unfailing love fills the earth. Teach me your decrees. Be merciful as you promise. Hmm. Oh, Lord, your unfailing love fills the earth. Teach me your decrees, he says. He says, Lord, put your word in my heart. It's so important. Where is your direction coming from? Friends, I pray that your direction comes from one place and one place only. I pray it comes from the Word of God. What is God's part? God's part is to give us direction, very specific direction. Our part is to obey. You know why God put those instructions in His book and in His Word to us? to protect us. He put his rules for marriage and relationships in the book to protect us. He put a course for us to study. He gave this to us so we could learn the rules of the road, so that we could learn what this Christian life is all about. 
And he did this to protect us and to protect others. He did this so that we could go and teach others, so that we can go and minister to others. He did this because he loves us so much that he gave us his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. He gave us a book with his instruction for us. It's our job to trust and obey.